Then Joshua summoned, summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and they said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given you your brothers rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But be careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. And then Joshua blessed them and he sent them away and they went to their homes to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given land in Bashan, and to the other half-tribe, Joshua gave the land on the west side of the Jordan with their brothers. And when Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, Return to your homes with great wealth, large herds of livestock, silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and a great quantity of clothing, and divide with your brothers this plunder from your enemies. And so the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said, left the Israelites at Shiloh in Canaan to return to Gilead, their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to Gileath near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built an altar on the border of the Canaan at Gileath, Near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. And so the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And with him they sent ten of the chief men, one for each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family of division among the Israelite clans. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to not only be open to hear your word in our minds, but be open to holding your word in our hearts and doing something about it. Speak to us whether it deals with certain things that are happening right now in our lives or have happened in the past, or even preparing for likely problems in the future. May we understand what we need to do. And may we be able to follow through with that. And so speak clearly, not only to our minds or our hearts, speak clearly words of life and peace this morning. Take charge of everything, Lord, beyond anything I say, you can break through with just your words. As we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of an argument and stopped for a moment and wondered, is this really something to be fighting about? Have you, you know, it's already started, right? 
How many times has the answer, as you're thinking about it, no, not really, this is not something I should be fighting about, but you are in the middle of it and you just keep fighting to the point that when you get to the end, you're like, what was I fighting about again? What was that? What, what did we just, that was, that was a huge argument. That was a huge fight. You know, so many times that something minor gets blown out of proportion and your relationship gets blown out of the water in this major battle all over something that really wasn't worth it. We're supposed to be on the same side and, and it's like a civil war has broken out. In fact, that's like what's happening here in Joshua chapter 22. As we look at this crisis, this conflict that they're facing, verse 11 describes the crisis point in Joshua 22. And when the Israelites heard that they had built an altar on the border of Canaan at Gileath near the Jordan of Israelites, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. They were about to start a civil war. But was this really worth fighting about? The main tribes of Israel were saying, to answer that question, the main tribes of Israel would have said, yes, absolutely, this is worth fighting about. The other two and a half tribes, and we say that I say two and a half, I'm talking about the ones they're listing there, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. Those would have said, what? No way. This is not even close to being worth fighting about. So who's right? And in fact, in some ways, it wasn't going to matter much if they actually started marching into an East versus West civil war because they would have wiped out the two and a half tribes of Israel. And it wouldn't have mattered who was right and who was wrong. How do you stop it? How do you get the right answer to whether this is worth fighting about to even begin with? We're going to find out over the next couple of weeks as we learn some lessons here from uh, the people here in Joshua 22 that can apply to our own lives about whether something is worth going to war about, so to speak. What we'll see is before deciding something is worth fighting about, there are two main questions that we've got to answer. Two main questions, and we're just going to deal with the first one today. And that first question that we need to answer, that in fact we need to ask and then answer about whether this is worth fighting over, is, is it true? Is it true? You probably were looking for something really mind-blowing and deep, and you know, it just seems like a simple, simple thing here. Is it true? It's kind of a quick, simple question. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, in a surprising amount of problems between people, they end up assuming certain things were true and just jump right into fighting with one another. There are plenty of things that are true that we need to decide about whether they're worth fighting about. But I think, at least I hope, for those of us who are here today, that we can all agree that something that is, in fact, not true is not worth fighting over. Are you with me? I mean, can, can we 
Uh, and if you can't agree with this, then we need to sit down and talk. But, uh, you know, can we agree that if something's not true, it's not worth fighting over? But we don't ask that question. We just jump right into the fight. We just jump in. Let's go to war against them. Now, how do you determine whether it's true? How, how do you determine whether it's true and therefore truly worth fighting about? The first step or the first thing we need to do is we need to look at the person through God's eyes and see the best about them. We need to look at the person through God's eyes and see the best about them. The passage explains, here's what the accusation is, in case you didn't catch it, of these two and a half tribes, that they had turned away from the Lord God and in an outright rebellion to what God has specifically said, they were going to do their own thing and worship a God. Now, technically, that's in the part that's the rest of through chapter 34, which is what we'll cover next week. But basically, that's the summary of what they're going to say is that, you know, these two and a half tribes turned from God, rebelling against God, and they're just going to do their own kind of worship. Maybe who knows what God they're worshiping. I, so before they or we decide whether it's a true problem, we need to look at the people involved through God's eyes of love and ask, is it true that these people would actually do that? Is it true that these people would actually do something like this? Of course, somebody says, well, yeah. Of course, yeah, sure. It's totally believable that this person would do that. I don't have any trouble believing this person would do that. Well, that's the trouble. Is that we are told that we are to love everyone. And love believes all things. Love believes the best. And so when it's totally believable that somebody would do something bad, we're not love. Love believes the best. It looks at them through God's eyes. And not only expects the best, but gives people the benefit of the doubt on the rest. But that's not what happened here in verse 11. When they jump right into battle positions, which is almost hard to believe that the rest of Israel is ready to go against these two and a half tribes, considering the best thing about these two and a half tribes, some of the best things about these two and a half tribes should have been obvious. Because that's really what it's about. Let's go right back to verse 1 in chapter 22 here. Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And you have obeyed me in everything I commanded you. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but have carried out our mission the Lord God gave you. Now the Lord has given you and your brothers rest as he promised. Return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Look in verse 6. And Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their homes. It says on down as we go through verses 7 and 8, Joshua blessed them and blessed them again. They had just finished a long, hard-fought war for the promised land and won. Praising the Lord for what was won, praising 
the Lord for it being done, I'm sure, as well. And now these two and a half tribes could go back to the other side of the Jordan River to their homes and the families. But what's crazy is no sooner had everybody gotten back to their homes and they were ready to pick up their swords and go to war now against their very own people, against the ones that they were just fighting side by side with. For seven years, these two and a half tribes had left their families, left their homes, had sacrificed all to march out in front of the Israelite army and to help win the land that they were not ever even going to live in. It wasn't their land they were fighting for. But they did it. They did it for their brothers. They did it for the promise that they had made. They did it because that was what was right before God. They had done everything they were supposed to do and more. They completed their mission with honor. That's what the commander-in-chief Joshua just said as he sends them off with his blessing. And after all that they had done, After all that they had showed of who they were, the rest of Israel was not willing to believe the best. Everything they'd been through, everything they'd just done. And the next moment, they were ready to go to war against them. To assume the worst. Without questioning whether this is true. In fact, in verse 11, what it is saying is, when the Israelites heard that they had built an altar... They heard about it. Where are those who would just say, stop, wait a minute. Surely that's not true of our brothers who have fought with us. Let's be sure that we've got the facts right before we go off to war and fight them. Nobody said at that time, although eventually somebody did. We know towards the end and we'll talk more about that next week. But here's the thought with this, and I'm not sure this is what is happening, but obviously they didn't believe the best, but why? And maybe this is what's going on, maybe it's not what went on, but I want you to think about this. Could it be that the majority Israelites, the ten of the tribes, so to speak, did not believe the best about these two and a half tribes because they were already thinking bad about them because of their past? Could it be that, yes, these two and a half tribes just went with them to war, and yes, they went out and they did all those things, but, you know, those two and a half tribes are just doing it because they had to. Those two and a half tribes are just doing it because they wanted to get a lot of loot. You know those two and a half tribes. You know what they're like. They're out for themselves. They're only concerned about themselves. They're not really concerned about anybody else. They were thinking bad about them because of the past. And therefore, the whole last seven years of fighting beside them was just suspect. That wasn't true. But it could be what they were thinking with the judgmental attitude that they had even before war ever began in the promised land. Now, some of you are still like, what? he saying i'm not sure i completely get this let's look at the bigger picture here of how it all came about you see israel was get finally getting ready to cross the river jordan and enter into the promised land after years of wandering right these two and a half tribes the reubenites the gadites and the half tribe of manasseh asked if they could have the area on the east side 
on the non-promised land side of the Jordan. In part, they said because they had a lot of livestock, that's what they were about, and the land that was there was just perfect for raising livestock and everything that they were doing. By the way, the this two and a half, I can say two and a half sometimes or other times, say the Transjordan tribes. Sounds fancy, but on the other side of the Jordan, you know, Transjordan. All right. And when they said this, at first Moses, as they were wandering through the, you know, getting ready to go in, Moses was like, no way. You, you don't have this land. You, it's the promised land. That's where we're going. And they, you know, they continued to ask about it. And so Moses put some conditions on them. In Numbers 32, before they could have this land on the other side of the Jordan, on the non-promised land side, before they could have that land, there were certain conditions. And one of those conditions was that they had to go and fight with their brother tribes to win the victory of the promised land that God wanted. And that they had to swear that they would not bail out before the battle was done. And that's what they did. This is okay. You'll let us have this land. If we can settle here, we're not going to bail out. We're going to go all the way through. We will go and follow through until the promised land is completely won. They agreed. But you've got to wonder, in this whole deal, so to speak, that was going on, whether some of the Israelites had this attitude towards the Transjordan tribes that they'd always been trying to separate themselves. They didn't want to take the land in the promised land with us. They wanted to do their own thing over here. Make their home someplace else. They were not only separating themselves from us, maybe they were really always just kind of working at separating themselves from God and doing their own religious thing because that's really what's happening here. They built this altar and they're going to worship whatever, whether it's try to our God or their God. I don't know what's going on, but it's really not that much of a surprise because we already have this attitude towards them that they were not that great to begin with. They were always in it for themselves. In other words, they were believing the worst all along. And so it's just an easy step. Say, you know what? This is worth fighting about. Yeah. I don't know if it's true exactly for sure, but I believe it's true because that's just the way those people are. How many have heard that? That's just the way that person is. I don't know for sure if it's true, but it probably, it's got to be. I'm sure it is. In our own heads towards people, before the whole problem that we have with them, we've already prejudged. In other words, we already have a prejudice towards them, and it's so easy to quickly jump to negative conclusions without facts. Because that's the way we think about them anyway. Somebody comes and says, did you hear about what so-and-so did? No, I didn't hear that, but I'm not surprised. We just assume. We've already judged them. We have not believed the best. We are not trying to find the truth about that person, seeing them as God sees them. We just assume... It's true. 
We're not looking at the person through God's eyes and we have this attitude that they are guilty until proven innocent. Especially certain people in our lives are guilty until proven innocent. And to that, there's never an opportunity, you know, there is never an opportunity for them to actually become innocent or to prove they're innocent. They're just guilty before innocent and they don't have any other recourse about it because they've already been judged and they don't stand a chance. Often this believing the worst is based off of the past of a person. And we feel so strongly today because uh, about what they're, they're doing today, about the problem that's, that we think is happening today because of something they did to us yesterday or someone that we care about. And yes, sometimes what is happening uh, happened in the past was true. There was hurt. There was something that took place they were truly guilty of. The problem is that we have this attitude that this person is still obviously guilty today. In fact, in our mind, they are perpetually guilty in part because we have only partly forgiven them. And we certainly do not fully love them as God does. What are we looking at? We need to recognize, to look at the person through God's eyes and see the best about them. The second point of finding out whether it's true and truly worth fighting about is this. We need to look at the problem through God's eyes. Not just the person, but we need then, after we've looked at the person, then we need to look at the problem through God's eyes and see firsthand what is true. As we talk about seeing what's true, we need to recognize that this problem is a two-way problem. It's not just what the Transjordan or the two and a half tribes did. It's what the rest of the tribes are going to do. There's a problem. There, it, it's always a two-way street. I often say to people in, in, in counseling, and maybe some of you have heard, it's always a two-way street. Sometimes there's four lanes on one side. I recognize there's a, a lot going on on one. But the reality is it's a two-way street. And so here is this problem they're coming at. And it's not just whatever the two and a half tribes did, it's what the rest of Israelites are doing that is contributing to this being a problem about going to war. Why is it that they're so quick to go to war? Even if what the Transjordan tribes are doing is true, are we really looking through God's eyes? And it may seem to the rest of the people that the rest of the people, the all of Israelites, are just overreacting. But is that true? In fact, is their plan of action to go to war the right thing to do? If that's if what the two and a half tribes are doing in building an altar and worshiping God on that, we need to think this through. Remember what we're trying to do here. We're trying to determine is whether something is really worth fighting about. And the way we do that is what is true. Through God's eyes, what is true? 
And to many of us, when we look at this problem, we hear in verse 11 that they're taking up arms and going to wipe out their brothers. To many of us, it was like, this is definitely not worth a civil war over. Except that would be wrong. It is. If what is true about the two and a half tribes. First off, they're being concerned about another altar being built that sacrifices that would uh, have made it a real problem in God's eyes. If these Transjordan, these two and a half tribes are built this altar to put sacrifices on, here's one of the places, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Actually, kind of shows up there. I don't know how well your glasses are. But again, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8 to 14. You have your Bibles as well. You are not to do as we do here today, everyone doing as they see fit, since you have not reached the resting place and the inheritance the Lord your God has given you. But you will cross the Jordan and set on the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and he will give you the rest from all your enemies around you, that you will live in safety. Then to the place your Lord, the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name, there you will bring gifts and all the choice possessions you are to the Lord all your choice possessions you are about to the Lord and there rejoice before the Lord your God you your sons your daughters your men servants your maidservants and the Levites from your towns who have no allotment or inheritance of their own be careful not to sacrifice your burnt offerings anywhere you please offer them only at the place the Lord will choose in one of the tribes and there observe everything I command you okay here's the truth the truth of God's word says there is only, once you reach the promised land, there is only one place you are supposed to be bringing those offerings. And the rest of the Israelites are assuming what's happened with these two and a half tribes is they have built their own altar to do their own sacrifices. When God has directly said in his truth not to do that. Oh, but, 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 but to go to war about that? Well, if you're zealous for God, if in that, well, not just that, let's continue to look just a a chapter later in chapter 13. We were in chapter 12 of Deuteronomy chapter 13. If you hear it said about one of the towns the Lord your God has given you to live in, that troublemakers have arisen among you and have led the people of their own town astray, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods you may not have known, then you must inquire, probe, investigate thoroughly. And if it is true, and if it has been proved, then this detestable thing that has been done among you must certainly be put to the sword. All who live in that town, you must destroy it completely, both its people and its livestock. Here's the truth. You start not worshiping God, your rebellion towards God, you're worshiping whatever and doing your own thing. Here's the truth. That place needs to be put to the sword. What did they say they were doing? They picked up their swords and they were getting ready to take off after the two and a half tribes. Their solution to the problem was a part of truth. It was true. If the problem was true. But they, they, you know, what I'm trying to get at is that they weren't, far off and just re, you know overreacting and what in the world were they doing we understand 
if what the other tr- tribe, the other two and a half tribes done is wrong, it was horribly, blasphemously against God. And while we are to love our brothers and sisters, first and foremost, we are to love God and stand up for right and fight. And that's what they just finished the whole war about to begin with. So something, if this is true, something had to be done. And yes, something had to be done. If it was true. You see, here's the thing. They don't know. They pick up their swords to do the truth of God's word, but they did not know. In their zealousness, they just pushed forward to stand up for the truth of God's word. Except they weren't standing for the whole truth. Unfortunately, there are those who just wanted to skip over the rest of the parts of the word of God that we're just reading right here. And jump right to judgment. It's here. It's not like God's truth changed. It's just you pick and choose sometimes what parts of God's word you want to read. And here it is. Look at the underlined part as it's talking about. What God is trying to say, what he said in this is not just at the end, you take your sword, but you must inquire, probe, and investigate thoroughly if it is true. They did none of that. They just just jumped right to the last verse. They just jumped right to the take up your swords. And how many times do we do that? Well, I know I'm right. I know this is what God says. And we just jump right to grabbing our swords. Our human flesh trying to do good for God often forgets how good God is. That he doesn't rush to judgment. In so many places like Psalm 145 verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all he has compassion on all he has made. Even before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord told Abraham in Genesis 18 that he was going to go down and check it out. He's God. You know, what, what does he need to check? I mean, and we're not getting into that, but just the basic point to get here is to recognize that God doesn't rush to judgment, but finds out the facts first, knows what the facts are. And here's where we get ourselves into trouble because we feel like we are on the side of right. We are on God's side doing what God wants us to do. And sometimes that is true. And sometimes it really is something that is worth fighting about. But also sometimes the thing that we're so zealous for, we don't actually stop and check the facts. There are those who are not looking at the person or the problem through God's eyes. Instead, they're just sitting in the wings, waiting for the bell to go off and come out swinging. You you know what I mean? Have you ever noticed people like that? People that always seem to be in fight mode. They're always in fight mode. They see or hear just a little something that kind of it seems wrong or a little something that ticks them off in some way. There's a little something that's just not right. And ding! Boom, out of the corner they come. And they're ready to go. I'm ready to fight. Come on, come on, come on. You know, ready to go. They rationalize their short-fused reaction as just standing up for God. But the problem is what they're doing is walking in the flesh as they're standing up for God. 
They're not under the control of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit would have been concerned about what is true. It is the flesh that shoots first and asks questions later. It is the flesh that is too willing to come out swinging and miss the warning of things like James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And somebody might say, but, but I know, Pastor, I can be a little quick on the trigger. But not this time. Not, not in this case right here, because, because it's not coming from me. I'm not the one who's, who's jumping here. I mean, I am jumping, but it wasn't me first. It, it came from other people. They, the other people know what this person did, and they know it's wrong, and, they, and they've said it. And so it's obviously true. The problem that this other person has and what they're doing or what they're saying, it's obviously true. And I would say, well, okay, how exactly do you know that it's true and truly worth fighting over? Well, I know it's true because I heard it from my wife's second cousin's neighbor who knows somebody who knows somebody who saw them doing it. That's not very far from the truth, fans. We are so quick to believe the bad, no matter who it comes from, instead of believing the best. And it's amazing. I've actually heard people complain, and this has happened, and maybe I'm, maybe I need to get a soapbox here. But um, I've actually heard people complaining about certain Christians in church. You know, they just kind of long complaining, you know, Joshmo, what a problem he is. I mean, can you believe him sometimes? I, I even sometimes wonder whether even Joe's a Christian. And then, a little later, I'm talking with that same person. They say, man, I'm, I'm at war with Charlie. Charlie and I have some serious problems right now. I says, really? What happened with you and Charlie? He said some bad things about me. He, he said some things that were just nasty and, and false and... Really? You heard that? No. No, I didn't. Joe Schmo told me. Uh, any other time, Joe is a Schmo. <laughs> Except when he's sharing something bad about somebody else. It must be true. It is amazing the people that will be believed... When it's something like that. Okay, okay, okay. But, but, but pastor, you know, let me say, pastor, this time it wasn't like that. It's not Joe Schmo. This time I heard it from a reliable source. I heard it from a, a, a good, solid Christian. And so they're obviously telling me the truth. And, and, and so I say, so you're telling me that you are believing the worst about someone based on the testimony of a blatant gossip and slanderer who is trying to stir up trouble and divisiveness between you and this other person by what they're saying. No, 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 no. I, I'm saying I heard it from a solid Christian that I respect. And I say, no, no, no. 
You did not hear it from a good, solid Christian because you will never hear that from a good, solid Christian because there is nothing good, there is nothing solid, there is nothing Christian about what you just heard from them. Gossip. True or false doesn't matter. It's gossip. There are too many who call themselves Christians that are not sharing the truth and love. Instead, they are shouting trouble as they join the side of the accuser, as Revelation 12 talks about, and get us to believe that our battle is against flesh and blood. How many of us would say that our first reaction is to join the prosecution rather than stand on the side of the defense with Jesus, our advocate? Note, in none of what I'm talking about, are we ignoring what is true? But what I'm saying is, we don't know what is true. Just because we're hearing it from one source or one side of the story. Now, you know, people always have an argument. So once again, oh, no, pastor, pastor, I'm not hearing it from just one source, one side. I'm hearing it from a lot of people. Oh, there's just a bunch of people that are saying this about about uh, about this person you know there's 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 a there's a bunch and so it must be true after all numbers don't lie you know you know they they, they just they're, they're saying it and now this is coming from somebody you know who is not saying a bunch of people said that just to try to prove their point to try to like well you know a bunch of people think this you know, and when you, if they can be, I ever be really honest, a bunch of people come down to their spouse, somebody who is angry at everybody in the world, and then that person who just shook their head because they don't have guts enough to tell you to shut up. Basically, three other people. That's a bunch. Now, I'm not talking about that person, all right? I'm talking, you come and say, Pastor, Pastor, a whole bunch of people have said the way, this is the way this person is, or that's what that person said to me, or, or I know that's what's going on, and, and, and they're, or they're sinning, and they're doing this, and hey, I, I, it's, you know, obviously it's, it's true. You know, we've, we've had this happen before. I've, I've been doing this pastoring for a while now, right? And people come and say that, and so, you know, we just decided at a point in time, okay know what the facts are. I already know what the facts is. I've talked to the person. But I'm not going to tell them that. Because they should be talking to the person. It says, here's what you need to do. You need to go back and all those people that you heard this from, ask them, how do they know that? And, and not to say I've done this, we, we've done this every time, but every time that we've done it, and that person has gone back to all those many people who saw this person do or say this. They didn't actually see it in person. Instead, they heard it from the exact same source. It all tracks back to one person. One person. Not many people. Yeah, many people are saying it, and many people are. But the problem comes down to one negative, carnal, critical Christian 
spreading bad news and a bunch of rumor mongers passing it on. And you say, whoa, pastor, just tell us what you think. Go ahead, you know. And here's the thing. I haven't really fully told you what God thinks. And this isn't really a part of the message here. I encourage you, if you really want to know, one of the places is Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 through 20. Look at Deuteronomy 19, what God thinks about things like this. And there are plenty of other places all throughout His Word, a whole host of scriptures that God's truth condemns this kind of thing. We need to look at the problem through God's eyes and see it firsthand. And I've heard countless cases where someone says, well, I know exactly what is true because I saw it with my own eyes or I heard it with my own ears. I know for certain this is what the truth is. But what exactly did you see? What exactly did you hear? Because so often we can jump to conclusions about what we saw and what we heard that are not true. Yes, we did truly see that, but did we jump to conclusions? And we're going to find that next week as we continue on in this passage. But that's what they did. Not all of us have perfect hearing, or should I say perfect listening, right? It's like the story of a small, one day a small church was expecting a guest preacher. He arrived early, he sat in his car, writing additional thoughts in his notes. He periodically put his short white pencil in his mouth to free his hand to turn a verse in the Bible. A deacon pulled up. You guys are already getting in. A deacon pulled in beside him and watched him for a moment and then went inside. And when the guest preacher walked into the church a few minutes later, he sensed antagonism from the entire group. He asked if he had done something wrong. The head deacon replied, We find it very offensive that you would sit in our church parking lot smoking a cigarette, especially when you were about to preach God's word from our pulpit. You can imagine the deacon's embarrassment when the man pulled the pencil from his pocket and explained that he had been working on a sermon. But they made that judgment because somebody saw what they know was true. Because they saw it firsthand. Instead of someone saying, wait a minute. We don't really know this guy. And, and while it would be loving to believe the best about him, do we really know what to believe? Do we just jump to conclusions? We need to find out, first of all, what is true as far as God is concerned about all this. And then we need to find out what is true as far as the problem, the situation that actually happened. Instead of just taking the word of someone. There's more to checking out the facts than just saying that we saw it firsthand. We need to have peace talks about it. Perhaps you had someone accuse you of saying something or doing something that you did not. In fact, something that you would never say. And you actually think the exact opposite I mean, has it ever happened to you, somebody, even your own children? Make some comment to the parent like, well, you, you never said anything about that. You never, you never said anything about that. When you know very clearly that you did tell them what they were not supposed to do, you very clearly told them what they were supposed to do because that was the whole point of your conversation with them. And, but 
don't rush to judgment on the child, right? And say they're just lying to get out of trouble because we want to believe the best. But what we know for certain is they did not listen. Which is why we need to find out the facts and all the facts that we can. Even if you think the person that you're having a conflict with said some fighting words and we just want to react. Instead, we need to respond by finding out, is that true? Here's what I heard you say. Is that what you mean? Then you can draw the sword. Maybe. So I have to decide whether it's worth fighting about. With all this being said, do not misunderstand. Because something is true doesn't mean something is worth fighting about either. That's a part of fighting what fighting for what is right requires wisdom to bring about something that is constructive and not destructive. That's a part of what eventually then happens here in verse 13. And so the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, to Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And with him they sent ten of the chief men, one for each tribe of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelites. They put the brakes on. Before the Civil War, they put the brakes on and they sent someone to find out what was true, to actually investigate, to actually have a conversation with someone before you start having a fight with them. Peace talks in hope that actual peace would be made, not just to keep the peace. So before we get into it with someone, let's just ask ourselves, is this really worth fighting about? And if so, let's answer the question about whether it's really true. And then we'll have a better idea whether it's truly worth fighting. Let me just ask us to bow our heads, the worship team to come. If you bow your heads this day before the Lord, how many here would say, I am either in a current situation where this could apply or I can see one coming. You just lift up your hand. I'm in a situation where this applies or I can see it coming. Now, you can't control what the other person does. And someday we'll learn that. But the Holy Spirit in you can control what you do. They may be taking out their swords, but a fight takes two people. And you have a choice to, first of all, figure out what really is true, what really is going on. And second, to decide whether this is really worth fighting about. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to... Follow through with your word. To not only look at people as you do, but to look at the problems as you do. Lord, sometimes things are worth fighting about and we need to stand up. But so many times we are just standing in our own flesh. Sometimes even standing in our own unforgiveness. So forgive us. Help us to be and do different. To stop 
fights before they ever even begin in seeking your wisdom and your guidance. Move in us this day. In your name we pray.